Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. What a powerful passage of Scripture. I love reading Romans 12, and I, I find in it so much every time I go back to it. The Apostle Paul was dealing with the Christian life, and he begins by admonishing us. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brother, mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What a way to live. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed by that spiritual renewing that comes from the presence of God, from the Word of God, from prayer. And then he goes into a number of things that I'm not going to go through them all, but he talks about the Christian life in everyday affairs. If you read it, uh, it is quite a Bible study in itself. He talks about love being sincere in verse number 9 and hate hate what is evil but cling to what is good and being devoted to one another in love and honoring one another and never lacking zeal but keeping your spiritual fervor hot serving the Lord. Be joyful I love verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then in verse 14, he begins dealing with human relationships. Uh, He talks about blessing those who persecute you. Uh, Not blasting those who persecute you, but blessing those who persecute you. And rejoicing with those that rejoice, mourn with those that mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, one translation said. And then he says, if it is possible, as far as as it depends on you, Everybody say, it depends on me. Say it really good and loud. As it depends on me. As far as it depends on me. Now, I I can't control what somebody else does, but I want to live at peace with everyone. And then verse 19 is what I want to focus your attention on. And I'm reading from the New International Version but you'll get the gist of it. Verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, 
says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And everybody said amen. I want to go back to verse number 19. And in the King James Version, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. But the literal translation of that statement is, Leave room for God. And that's my subject tonight. Leave room for God. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There is an ebb and flow of life that is part and parcel of all of our lives. There are times when the tide is in, so to speak, and things are all going our way and life is easy, it's uh, commodious. I mean, there's not a lot of friction. Everything goes smoothly and all looks bright and fair and uh, all our children are good looking and all what's the late woe gone? All the women are good looking, all the children are wise. I don't remember all that, but that's life sometimes. But then it also changes and it moves from everything working to nothing seeming to work. Uh, life looks bleak and impossible. And it seems sometimes that life gets mired down in impossibilities and troubles. Vessels of life get lodged in the mud of life and it cannot be budged. Things look insurmountable. Problems look too big to handle. And we get mired in the mud of our troubles. So it is. How often in life we work so hard to fix a problem, but to no avail. Is there anybody other than me that's ever tried to solve a mystery in life, and the harder you tried, the worse it got? Is there anybody here tonight that as much right as you could do, it availed to no good, or it seemed to not bring any good? Because there are forces that we cannot overcome sometimes in ourselves. There are forces that we in ourselves cannot combat. We cannot fight them in our own strength or in our own power without hurting ourselves. Remember, as a young person, uh, I had gone on a, a trip sporting event for our high school and I was a freshman and freshmen always got picked on and they did everything they could to pick on me that weekend but we were staying in a place where there was a river that ran by the hotel and and somebody left some canoes down by the hotel 
uh, bank of, of the river. And so we snuck out of our room, and me and all the other guys on the golf team, we went down and got in our canoes, and we started playing and horse playing and getting into all kind of mischief. And what we failed to count on was the current of the river, and, and uh, it began to move us in our playfulness further down the bank than we had intended to go. And finally, when we realized we better, we better paddle back upstream, we found that going back upstream wasn't as easy as going downstream. And I will never forget, uh, we were rowing, and we weren't good at rowing, to say the least, but we were trying. And in the middle of that struggle, I pulled a muscle in my back, so much so that I couldn't hardly breathe the next day. I couldn't hardly move. And I I thought about that this afternoon when I was thinking about this verse of Scripture. There are times in life that the harder you try, the more hurt it inflicts on you. Try as you might. You cannot reverse the course. It's like a vessel that is mired in the mud and the tide has gone out and do whatever you want to do. You're not going to move that vessel. In Melbourne, Australia, at their art gallery, there's a painting of a sea cove in which a couple of boats are lying. And in one of them, there are two men that are sitting, leaning with the boat as it rests stuck in the mud, waiting for one thing, waiting for the tide to come. Because they know that when that tide turns, that that boat which they could not lift or move, that they couldn't do anything to change the situation, when the tide returns, It will be so easy to navigate out into the open water. And there are situations in life that are totally dependent upon time and tide. And you can try all that you want to try, beat your head up against the wall all you want to do, and you're not going to change that event. You're going to have to rely upon the faithful things that God has given himself to do. And that is, whenever the tide goes out, it will also come back in. Amen. Human events can happen in life that we feel like cannot be altered until a higher power comes into play. And there are situations in life that are dependent, that the only way they're going to change is for the tide to turn. And you nor I have control of the tide. I wish that I could tell you that I was God, but I can't. And there's a lot of times that we want to play God, but the reality is push And shove and pull and tug all you want to, but nothing happens. Sometimes we only get deeper mired. Problems come, misunderstandings, hurts, stress, 
fear, doubt, all of those are part of life. They are things that we encounter on a regular basis. And though I would like to, I I really would like to solve every problem, I can't. But I can leave room for God. And though I don't have the answer to all of the troubles that are going on in my life right now, I can leave room for God. I can't cure every hurt and I can't avoid every fear, but I can leave room for God. I don't have the answer to every problem and I certainly don't know how to work out work out all of the things that are coming against me at this moment, but I can leave room for God. I cannot do the impossible, but I can leave room for God. In our text, Paul deals with one of the most sensitive of all human subjects, and that is revenge. Who among us has not wanted to get a little bit in our life? (laughs) Oh, you holy folks, you just looking at me like you don't even know what I'm talking about. There's not a one of us in this building that has not wanted to bear the sword and let the chips fall where they may. There's not a one of us that has not felt passionate enough that if we had the opportunity, fueled by our own personal resentment, we would extract more than our ounce of flesh. Amen. Tell me it's not so. Tell me it's not so that you, if given the opportunity, would pull every hair out of their head you could and hand it back to them in their own hands. (laughs) Tell me it's not so. There is something within the human makeup that makes for that desire. I I go back to the Adamic nature in the beginning, whatever you want to blame it on, but intrinsic in every one of us in this building is a passionate response when we have when we perceive or we have been done wrong and it is fueled by one thing and that is our desire to get back at that person that has hurt us. And so Paul gives a principle about how to deal with this and how to handle this. And he gives not only a principle for dealing with people who hurt you, but really it is a strategy for life. And it is a principle that's worth considering. The hardest thing to deal with in the world when we are done wrong is the desire to want to pay back the offender. We want our day. We want somehow to look them in the eye or look that situation in the eye and say, I got you back. Amen. 
And so many times we react to our situations to get our ounce of flesh. But you know what? There is a better way. And that's what Paul talks about. It's not just about revenge. What Paul, the principle that he deals with here, goes far beyond just getting your ounce of flesh or getting revenge. It's not just about situations of personal injury when this is true, but it's in so many other situations as well that if you could learn to give God room, if you could somehow learn to give God room, that God could work out and he could resolve whatever it is that you are dealing with so much better than you're going to do it. Amen. Life comes to us from all angles, and we face situations sometimes that literally are impossible, and we are made to deal with troubles that are overwhelming. And the instinctive tendency in all of us, when bad things happen, when trouble comes, when the tide turns, when life caves in on us, When troubles mount up on every side, the instinctive thing for us to do is to fear or to doubt or to worry or to strike back or to question. And in such times, Paul's words are so needed. Leave room for God. Think about your problems right now and what would happen if you would just step back and take your hands away and leave room for God. What would happen to those worries? What would happen to those fears? What would happen to that stress? What would happen to that doubt? What would happen to that anger if you would simply step back and allow God to step in? In Exodus chapter 14, God had brought Israel to the brink of the Red Sea. And standing there in that moment of time, they seemed to have been caught between the vortex of many competing forces. And it looked for them to be an impossible situation, to say the least. When they looked behind them, They saw the dust devils of their enemy coming quickly after them. When they looked to their right or their left, they were surrounded by mountains. And when they looked before them, there was nothing but a Red Sea. And God's command to them at that point in time is almost humorous. When I read it again today, I almost chuckled under my breath. I thought, you know what? God does have a sense of humor. I mean, when you... When you realize where they were at and what all was going on and God's word to them is stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now tell me, pray tell me, how many of you, your natural reaction when you've got devils coming up on your backside and you've got mountains on both sides and a Red Sea in front of you that you're just going to stand still and see. How many of us are going to be willing to submit ourselves to such a ludicrous? That just doesn't even make sense, Brother Hughes. Why would 
God put me in that place because he wants you to learn how to trust him. That if he can bring you there, he can take you through whatever is there. That you're not where you are by accident. That if you go back and read the first verses of 14, you will find that it was God that orchestrated them to that place. So they were not there by accident, but it seemed like at that moment that it was impossible. And the thing that seems incredible is that what God was wanting them to do was what the human nature is least likely to do in such situations. And that is stand still and see. One translation of that phrase, stand still, in another passage means take your hands off of it. And leave room for God. When you're hard pressed by life. And it looks like there's no way you're going to get out of this situation without harm. Why don't you leave room for God? Why don't you, when you're surrounded by your enemies and impossibilities. And it seems that the least likely thing that you want to do is to be still. To learn how to be still and wait on God. To look around you and see that there is no way out. But you don't panic and you don't run and you don't give up. But you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And you commit your Red Sea situations into the God who brought you to where you are. And you... Give room. You make room for God to work. That's what Paul was really trying to help the the New Testament church understand is that there's no way I can paint a picture of everything life's going to do to you, but I can give you a principle that when your back is against the wall and everything seems to be against you, leave room for God. When everything around you is telling you to panic and give up, and stress out and go get some more Maalox and, and, and Zantac and whatever else, sleep aids, so that you can, all of that stress that life brings on you, when all of that is pressing down on you, that if you could just leave room for God. Don't write it off. Don't exit out. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't panic. Don't run. Don't get aggravated. Don't get angry. Just give room for God. Let let God show you how strong he is. Let God show you how great he is. When life has been reduced to a handful, and that's where some of you are at tonight, you're making it from hand to mouth. You're making it from week to week. Maybe not financially, but in other ways. One week your home is peaceful, the next week your home is chaos. One week your marriage is all right, the next week you think you're going to cut each other's throat. Hello. One week you love your kids, the next week you'd like to send them on to eternity. Yeah. When life has been reduced to a handful of meal and a little bit of oil, what are you going to do? Let me read to you what it says in Scripture. 
1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 10. He said, And so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering up sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as he was going to fetch it, he called to her. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I don't even have a cake to give you, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. Amen. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord which he spake by life. Now think about that. You are out gathering kindling to fix you and your son your last supper. And you're going, it seemed to me like they've given in to the inevitable that this is, the, this is it. It's over. We're going to have this last meal and we're going to die. And Into that situation comes a preacher (laughs) and tells you to put God first. And you say, well, Brother Hughes, you don't have my bills to pay. You You don't have the pressures on you that I have on me. For long came a preacher and had the audacity to tell her to fix him first a cake, and then fix for you and your son. Now, I'm going to ask you folks, just be honest tonight. How many of you think you would really be willing to do that under the circumstances? Now, we like to read it in Scripture, and we think, oh, yeah, but the reality is, that we fight many times when God says put him first. We come up with every reason in the world not to do that. And here's this woman. She has a choice. You either obey or you disobey. You either do it or you don't do it. And I don't know how long it took her to come to the conclusion, but somewhere in that transaction... She reached out and took hold of the promise of God. And she said, okay, God, 
I'm willing to stake my life on your word. And if your word says that it will not fail, then I'm going to obey your word. And in her obedience, listen to me, in her obedience, there was a miracle that never ran out until the famine was over. And every time she went back to the meal barrel, it had enough in it to make another cake. And every time she picked up the cruise of oil, there was enough to do it one more time. And her and her son, and and according to what the scripture indicates, even the man of God were sustained because she was willing to obey the word of God. You hear me tonight. Obedience leaves room for God. I don't mean debating it. I don't mean discussing it. I don't mean trying to come to terms with it. I mean just laying down your arms and saying, God, if that is your word, if that is the principle, then that's what I'm going to stand on and that's what I'm going to live by. And watch God. Make a miracle happen. Amen. Listen to me tonight, church. You will never lose by living an obedient life. Never. Never. You will never lose by putting God first. The prophet or or the psalmist said, I was once young, now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg bread. Never. I'm telling you that even when you can't pay other bills, when you put God first, God will make a way so you can pay those other bills. I'm not telling you something that a preacher just likes to say. I'm telling you something that we and my wife and I have lived in our own life, that if you will put God first, God will take care of you and he will keep you. If you will just make room for God, he can take whatever bit you've got and stretch it. You know what, my wife and I, we, I don't even think my wife had a clue. I know she didn't have a clue what she was getting into when she married me. I drugged her all over the country. We lived out of suitcases in other people's houses and in their homes. And you talk about newlyweds and you talk about pressure. We didn't have two pennies to rub together. We, we used the money we got from one revival to buy gas to get to the next revival. But you know what? I got to looking at my life one day and I got to looking around at, and I'm not, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying when I got to looking around at other people that had good jobs and a steady income and I looked at what God had blessed us with and what those folks had and there was no comparison. And you try to figure out how it happened. I can't tell you how it happened. I just know that every time we went back there was a little bit more in that barrel. I don't know how it goes but I just know this. That if you can learn how to submit yourself to the principles of God's word, 
It doesn't matter how absurd they may seem. If you will simply submit yourself and obey them and make room for God, God will always show you just how strong and powerful he is. He'll make a way. Amen. He will make a way. When you've toiled all night and you've struck out and you're washing your nets and you're folding them, putting them away for another day, and along comes Jesus and said, hey, can I borrow your boat for a little while? I need to preach. And you're tired. Anybody ever been fishing all night? Any of you ever been thrown, has any of you ever thrown nets all night and drug them back? I'm not talking about these little minnow nets that people use around the go. These were big, heavy, and every time they would throw them out, the water would absorb into that, that string, and it would, they would have to pull it in, and all night they had thrown it and pulled it, thrown it, pulled it, and every time they'd drag it back in, it would scream out at them, nothing, nothing, all night long. And here they are, frustrated, tired, wore out. And this preacher wants them to go a little further. And so Peter had enough sense to not argue with God. And he gave him use of the boat. And so he just cast out a little ways. And the Lord used that boat as a pulpit and preached to the multitude. And when he got through preaching, he turns to Simon and he said, Launch out into the deep for a great draught of fishes. Let your nets down. There's going to be a great draught of fishes. And Peter, looking at him, thinking, you don't don't have a clue what I've been through. You don't have a clue what I've struggled through to just get here. And now you're telling me to go a little further? And you're telling me to try again? Not only that, you're wanting me to go back to the same fishing hole I just left. And I didn't do anything with it all night long. And the Lord said, yeah, I want you to go right back where you failed. And I want you to try one more time. Hmm. And so Peter makes one statement that transforms everything. He says, now this is my interpretation. It's not in your Bible, but it's in mine, in my mind. That when Jesus tells him to launch out for a great draught of fishes and let down the nets, plural. Peter in his mind's thinking, okay, Lord, I know you probably don't realize how hard we've worked. I know you don't realize what all I've been through. I know you don't realize I'm on my last nerve. But he made one statement. He said one word that transformed everything. He said, nevertheless, at thy word. Amen. Now, I like that word, nevertheless. Because that's always what you get with God. Nevertheless. When you are willing to give him what you have, when you're willing to do what you can, I don't care how many times you failed, I don't care how many times you tried and it didn't work, 
when you're willing to go one more time and try one more time under the word of God, there is something that is released in the spiritual life of a man or a woman that is willing to just do what God said and nevertheless, you will never have less when you do what God tells you to do. You will never come back short. You will never be shortchanged when you give God what he asked for. And so Peter obeyed and he got a nevertheless blessing. The net that he put down. Now he didn't even have enough faith to listen to what Jesus, Jesus said. Put down the nets. He just threw out one. But that one net enclosed such a drought of fish that it was breaking. That's what God does when people are willing to step out on his word. Amen. A nevertheless blessing, an overflow, an abundance. God's word is always enough to live on. It's always enough to live by. It's always enough to act on. It's always enough to hold on to. And if that's all you've got is the Word of God, that's all you need to survive because the Word of God will not fail. It will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And that Word is simply a lifeline in your own life. That leaves room for God's power to work it out. Amen. Amen. So you and I have a choice tonight. In the attitude of life that we take. And that I will tell you that that choice that is offered many times is contrary to the way we feel. We can either worry or we can worship. We can either tremble or we can trust. We can either be fearful or we can have faith. One thing or the other, but you're going to choose your attitude toward life. And here is the real issue of life. Will life overcome you or will you overcome life? And that's what Paul really was summing up the whole point and principle of his message is that good and evil are present in every situation in life. And you are going to be influenced by one or the other. And the question is, are you going to be sidelined by this strife? Are you going to be throttled by this trouble? Are you going to be defeated by this distress? Are you going to be conquered by this challenge? Are you going to be left helpless by this hurt? Are you going to be weakened by your worry or... Will you rise up? Will you surmount your problem? Will you conquer your troubles and leave room for God? Amen. What are you going to do? I'm going to leave room for God. What are you going to say? I'm going to be still. I'm going to be quiet and leave room for God. You're not worried? No. I figured out a long time ago that all my worry in the world doesn't change one problem in my life. But I have figured this out. If I can learn to worship him, 
in the midst of my stress. It is the best stress reliever I've found. Amen. You say, Brother Hughes, that sounds like some some, uh, simplistic answer to a complicated problem. No, it's not. It's just the fact that if you will leave room for God, God can take care of it. Amen. Listen to what 1 Peter 2.23 said. This is how Jesus did it. I'm reading from the message translation. He said, they called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. The New Living Translation said he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. I'm not preaching about a lottery system. I'm not preaching about a rolling of the dice. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I am talking about men and women who put their hope in him and his ability to work things out. Amen. You can't hurry the tide. You've got to let it happen. But if you can learn to wait on him. I love what one translation of the word wait, it means, amen. It is to position yourself in a place to see God unfurl his power and his miraculous strength in your life, amen. I'm preaching tonight to some folks that's going through things right now that there's no rhyme or reason for it. But if you can leave room for God, God will work it out. Just like the tide, you've got to expect it to change. Let God settle the score. Let God resolve the issue. Let him fix the problem. Leave room for his power. I need to leave room for his grace. I need to leave room for his intervention. I need to leave room for his goodness. I need to leave room for his love. Amen. Listen to me, church. Hear me, and I'm going to shut up. Don't judge a life by a day. Today may be raining, but it's not always going to rain. Today you may feel like you are in a desert, but it's not always going to be a desert. If you'll just leave some room for God, Don't be so anxious to fix it all and take care of it all that you're going to manage and manipulate it all. You can do all that you want to do and all you're going to do is frustrate yourself. Amen. When you're hurt, leave room for God. When you're misunderstood, leave room for God. When you're angry, take your hands off and leave room for God. When you feel like you've been cheated, Leave room for God. When you feel stressed and overwhelmed, leave room for God. When you know that the harder you try, the farther behind you get, why don't you just stop and leave room for God? God knows how to work it out. He knows how to deal the just reward. He knows how to balance the scales. If you'll just leave some room for God.
What are you dealing with tonight? What's got some of you so worried? Is it the fact that summer's almost over and you hadn't got to take a vacation yet? Or is it something much heavier than that? You can't talk about it to anybody else. Nobody even knows what's going on. But it weighs heavy on your mind every day. Your, your, your mind's working overtime trying to figure out how you're going to work it out, how this is going to happen, how that's going to happen. And you're, you're trying to make all of it come together. And you, your, your emotions are so stressed out that you don't even know how to pay attention. And the preacher's come tonight to tell you, if you'll just leave room for God, God knows how to work it out. And if you'll just let the tide turn, it will turn. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to force it. It will happen because it's part of God's nature. It's part of God's way. Amen. Stand with me.